If you're new today, or maybe you're brand new, this is the first time you picked maybe the best time you could have chosen to be here because today we're launching something that's going to take us the next six weeks. And we are going to do something as a church. Uh, We're going to bring some focus to something. We get asked around here a lot. So what... What, do you, what is this about? Like, how do you get involved here? What do you want us to do? If I come here, I, I just walk in the doors around here, and I say, okay, this God thing, or following Jesus, or I just moved to town, or I came from another church, or something, but what, it, how, what do you guys do, and how do you, what do you want me to be involved in? How do I do that around here? We don't have, you may not know this, we don't have formal membership here. We don't have anything you sign that says you're... you're belong you just we invite you to come we ask we do what jesus did we just say if you want to follow come along so so what are some of the things that we say to people like okay so what's that mean what's that look like and we kind of narrowed some stuff down uh and and sometimes we refer refer to them as our six essentials and so what we want to show you there is is the beginning of six essentials that we would say these things they're not required around here but if you ask us, so what, would you, what is your idea of how a person can grow and thrive and, and be what they're supposed to be? And here's what we say, that if you're involved, fully involved in these six things, it's not a formula, but they will go up a pretty long way toward you experiencing a fuller, stronger, better life that resembles the, what you were designed for. And today, the, one of the first of those is what we're going to call worship. So, you go, well, yeah, duh, right? That's what you do in church. You worship. Well, we want to talk about a little bit about what that means. And, um, and, and when we talk about this, let me just kind of give you a warning. I, I tend to be a little bit of a passionate person anyway. But over the next six weeks, you're going to probably hear some passion from me. You're probably going to hear some intensity because these are things I really, really deeply long to see happen in my life first, but also in yours. As somebody who's like kind of called to lead and say, let's go somewhere together, these are the things I just yearn to see us do and us be part of. And so you're going to hear some of that come out. Now, you could say, well, of course, God people worship, right? That's what they do. It's what... All right, let's talk for a minute about what that means. Because the Bible actually very uh, obviously calls on people to worship. And, it's all, and, and by the way, you're going to get a bunch of stuff from the Psalms today. Almost all of it's from the Psalms. Um, because the Psalms represent a worship guide and a worship book. It's, all, it's like the songbook of the early people of God. And it's full of instructions and full of reflections. And so we're, I'm going to show you a bunch on the screen. You can look in your, if you have a copy of the Word of God with you. Psalm 29, 2 says... Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Okay, so what, what is that? What is, it, what is the word that's used there for worship mean? There's a lot of definitions. Let me just give you a couple. One theologian named D.A. Carson in his book, Worship by the Book, says, Worship is the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he's worthy, delightfully so. Pastor and author Warren Wearsby said in his book, Real Worship, worship is the believer's response of all that they are. Now think about this, all that all you are, all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God says 
what, to what God is and says and does. And around here, we've had a working definition of worship that we have said it's an act that assigns or declares highest position, value, or authority in one's life to another, an other. And that other is intended to be the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth. All right, so the Bible says that that's what it is, and it prescribes it. It says we're supposed to do it. So Psalm 95 says, come. It's an invitation. Come. Let's bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The, the call is to all of creation. Psalm 150. And in fact, this is the last verse in the psalm, one of the last verses in the psalms. It is the last verse in the psalms. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh, the Lord. Now, okay, we're invited to do that, but here's the thing about your life. Your life provokes you to worship. It'll egg you toward it. Not only are we created to do it, and we yearn to do it, and sociologists say we will, all, all beings yearn to worship something other that's bigger than themselves. But here's something we understand. When you came in the doors today, your life was putting you in a position where you needed to worship. You need to worship because here's what happens. Life knocks you off center. Life skews you. Your life and your circumstances put you in a position where you're off kilter. We find ourselves in a position where the world is going to tell us that not every that things are out of control that life is not right, that life is not good, that we need to be stronger or we need to be weaker or we need to be something, but life is not right. And in the Psalms, you see the people who are coming to worship say this kind of stuff all the time. This is the attitude they bring. It says in Psalm 12, 1 and 2, Help, Lord, the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. Do you recognize that? Do you see that happen? I don't have anybody I can trust in my world. Everybody's telling me lies. Everybody is trying to get theirs. Everybody, I don't even know what's right or what's wrong. I got people who are telling me that we don't need God, that we can make our lives work. I got people trying to get what they don't deserve. I, I, I don't know who to trust. And my circumstances in my life aren't going especially well. I have big dreams and they get shattered. Did you walk in with any of those today? Anything disappointing in your life? Anything you were absolutely convinced was going to work and it isn't working? There's a feeling that worshipers carry with them. And again, the Psalms are the the songbook. This is the context of almost all these are worship. And it uses phrases like this in Psalm 6-2. I'm faint. Psalm 31-9. I'm in distress. Psalm 38-17. I'm about to fall and my pain is ever with me. 143-12. I am in desperate need. Can you relate with Psalm 13? How long? It says how, verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, how long? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Our perspective on life gets skewed. It feels out of control. It feels wrong. We don't know who to trust. We don't know what to do with it. So all the gauges are off. As a result of that, you're put in a position where you're, you're, either, you're either deflated by your world too much, where it feels like 
nothing is going to work. Nothing is worthwhile. Nothing is going to, there's no hope. Or you get inflated by your world that says, I need to trust myself. I need to make things happen. I need to make it work. I can do this. And you power up within yourself. And so worship becomes, if you could, if you could walk out today and understand that worship is not singing to songs. It can be. Worship is not standing here and watching and learning how to clap, which was important to do. That worship is an essential part of resetting, recalibrating your soul and your life. There's something that has to get reset. I used to work at, when, when I was a, in high school, I worked at McDonald's. I smelled like onions for about four years after working at McDonald's. I loved it for about three weeks, and then I hated it for the next two years when I worked at McDonald's. And one of the things that constantly happened was they always saying, we have to recalibrate the soda machine, the, the, the fountain drink. We have to recalibrate it. We have to recalibrate it. Why? Because people know what their Coca-Cola and their Diet Coke needs to taste like. They know. They are demanding people. There's some of you here who know that, right? You've got a certain mix. And there are some of you who are so much experts about that. There are certain fountains that you won't go to in the city because it's just not right. It doesn't taste like Diet Coke. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. And our manager was always saying, got to recalibrate the fountain. Got to recalibrate the fountain. Why? Because there was a certain mix of carbonation and syrup, water, all this had to go in together to make it just the way it's supposed to be. And we say, well, once it's set, why doesn't it stay that? And they say, it just doesn't work that way. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Goes on. Things change. They shift. That's what happens in your soul. And in my life, I can get centered. I can get perspective. And it doesn't take long before I completely lose it. Some of us are going to walk out of the room today and so you're going to get some news or you're going to see something or feel something and it will skew your perspective just like that. Because that is true of all sentient beings, we have a need. It is an essential if we're going to be healthy and whole. And it's to get that recalibration set. To do something that resets, what is this about? Who is in charge? What is happening here? I got a, uh, we got a, a television, and it's you know this funky controls on the television a while back to re, you know to set the stuff, and it's got all these little settings for how you can watch television, and there's sports settings, and then there's a movie setting, and then there's a cool setting, and then there's a warm setting, and there's like a dozen different things, and I got and I I love remotes, man. I want I, I want to control the remote. And I go, cool, and I'm, and I'm playing with it. And then you can individually set things. And I'm playing. I'm moving the tint up and down and the color up and down. I'm going, wow, this is like power. And, of course, I set it to the sports settings. I want to see, see, see the spaces between their teeth. I want to see it so clearly. I want to see every part of what I can see on the sports field. I want to know what's happening. And I'm messing with it, messing with it. And, and then all of a sudden I realize everything, like everybody's faces are green. And... And like, it's too dark and it's too light. And I go, oh, what did I do? And I, and I think, I just got a television and I, and I, I broke it. I ruined it. Because I, I was trying to get it back, but I've changed so many things that I don't know what's right anymore. And then I found something. It's called the factory reset. Would you like to go to the factory reset? The factory default? Yes, yes, factory, yes. 
somebody else who determined what my TV is supposed to go. And I push one button and poof, it goes back to where it started. I go, you know what? Good enough. Here's what worship does. It's a spiritual act where you take the skewing that's happened in your life and you come to a place. Now, there's both individual worship and corporate worship. I'm going to focus, we're going to fo- focus on what we do around here. Collective corporate worship. What worship does is it hits a reset button. When you engage in worship, it reestablishes what is true and what's right and what everybody's proper position is. But it takes an act of your will to do that. It doesn't happen just because you walk through some doors. It's not going to just happen today because you came here. There's an act, an involvement, and it we consider it one of the absolute essentials. God gives us a collective guidance, a collective experience, practice to do that. And now we want to just talk about, so what happens, how does it happen? How does it happen when you worship? Do you know that this entire room was created for this essential, for this experience? Where you sit, why you sit where you are, how the lights are, everything in this room is set up for that purpose. And so there's certain things that when you walk in these doors and you walk over somewhere and you say, I think I need to find a seat. And you go up here and you say, I think I'll sit here. When you, how you doing? Don't worry, I'm not going to, yeah, that's good. You want to say anything? No, okay, good. And when you come in and you sit here, you have a decision to make about what you do. And here is one thing that worship is. Worship is a bowing down. It's a bowing down that happens both physically and in your heart. It's a bowing down that says, I'm going to consciously and collectively reset my proper position before God. And it's a chosen thing. It's a verbal thing. It's, it's a conscious, volitional assumption of my, of my proper position. And so the Bible says this. Take, take a look at Psalm 5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Ecclesiastes 5 puts it this way. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Here's why. Here's the proper position. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. When I come here, I have a decision to make. And my whole world is telling me this isn't true. My whole world is telling me it's out of control or I need to be in control or I need to be important or or nothing's important. And when I come in, I have a decision. I say, I'm going to bow in my proper place and I'm going to say this. I know who is in control. I'm here to declare I'm bowing before the one who is in control. Psalm 138 says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and I'll praise your name for your love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. It's yours, God. It's not mine. The world may tell me there is no God. The world may tell me that everything's out of control. But I am here to bow and say, I'm going to reset it. There is a God who's in heaven. I'm on earth. I bow before him. That God is enthroned. There's a whole lot of unrest in our world. You just heard about Kabul, Afghanistan. I mean, it is as bad as I've ever seen it in my life. 
There is fighting and all the name of different gods and all the name of politics and money and power and disease is rampant. And you, you look at all that and then you have to stop and you say, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to reset something that is true. This is true. That he is not only in control, he is on the throne. Psalm 29, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood and the flood is a general talk, not just the great flood, the flood of the mess of the world. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. You see what he does? He'll bring something to my heart if I engage in worship. I find the proper place before him and he'll bring peace. And my place is humble, dependent worship of him. Psalm 131, I love this little phrase. It's just a statement to God. My heart's not proud. Oh, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. Now, that's not always true during my day, but it, this is what I say when I recenter. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. A weaned child who doesn't have to cry for milk. Quieted like a weaned child is my soul within me. When I do this, the bowing down, it does something. It reestablishes the proper position. And you know what it does to me? If I sit right here and I engage in worship and I bow before him, it unclenches something in my soul. I relax a little bit. There's a little bit of peace that says, you know what, it's okay. It's not hopeless. Somebody knows where this is going. And that has the effect in my soul. A.W. Tozer wrote, something wonderful and miraculous and life-changing takes place within the human soul when Jesus Christ is invited to take his rightful place. Worship is bowing down. Now, you may walk in this place and you may, have, um, you may be, be beat up or you may have had your best day ever. And you come in and there's a whole bunch of other people here and most of them you don't know, right? I mean, if you look around right now, you know a couple of people's names and there's a whole lot of people you go, yeah, I might have seen them. I have no idea who in the world it is. There's some people you just looked right past them just now. When you looked around, you just looked right past them. They're extras. You know. Yeah, I mean, you ever run into somebody and go, oh, I recognize you. I think we go to the same church. And you go, no, we don't. And they go, they tell you and you do. How does that happen? There's something else that worship is. And it happens collectively. And worship is not just a bowing down. Worship is a standing up. When people get together and they worship the one true God, there is an opportunity to do something. And some people would say, yeah, really, what's the big deal? But if I come in these doors and I sit in this spot, or maybe I'm invited to stand and you complain because they make you stand too much around here. Part of the reason that we stand is because worship is a standing up. There's some words that get used in the Bible to describe what happens when people worship. And there's two words that are very close to each other. One is the word extol and the other is the word exalt. And then there's exalt too. Extol and exalt are different words, but they relate to the same thing. And what it is is this. There is going to be a place in this world. There's going to be a territory 
in the middle of a world that is claimed by the enemy, in the middle of a world that does not follow God, but there's going to be a place where the people get together and they declare something that's true. That declaration of what's true about God is extolling him. This is truth about God. Things that we say about him that are true. It's a reinforcing verbally of things that are true. So it's not said, it's actually said to each other. We're declaring it together. And you go, well, what's the good of that? Well, what's the good of going to the football game? And saying, we will, we will rock you. What's the good of going to the football game and saying, O-H. Everybody knows what comes next. No one needs to learn any of that. We know how to spell. What's the deal? Why? Because there's a declaration that people are gathering together. Say, we believe that something is true. And when you say it about God, it's extolling him. Look at the words in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's. Now, wait, just wait a minute. This earth, you're standing on planet earth. It is claimed to belong to all kinds of things. And it belongs to science and it belongs to all the animals and it belongs to humans and it belongs to the Republicans or the Democrats. But extolling God says, this earth is Yahweh's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It's not talking to God. It's talking about him. It's extolling him saying, you know, we got to remember who is in charge here. We got to remember how great he is. Let's remind ourselves. Psalm 96 says, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? Because all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Psalm 34 says, in fact, it's going to use both. In Psalm 34, he use both these words. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And then, then there's an invitation. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And the word exalt is to speak truth to God. It's to tell him what is true, to reinforce what we believe is true about him. Doesn't he already know? Of course he knows. Don't the football players know that you're for them? Of course they do. But something happens when you tell them you're for them. And so words get used. Words shout gets used a lot. Shout with joy to God, all the earth, Psalm 66 says. Shout to him. The call is to applaud him, Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord most high. We sing this sometimes. The great king over all the earth. Why do we do that? Because he deserves it. Because it's true that he made this. It's for his glory. Have you ever seen, you ever seen a performance that was so unique and so good that you couldn't help but stand up and applaud when they got done. You raised your hands over your head. You didn't do it. They know they did it. But you just had to say, that was awesome. You know, I, I think, I got this little pet peeve. We go to kindergarten plays and they say, when they get done with the play, they go, now let's all give them a standing ovation. You know, really? I mean, I love my kindergartner when they were in kindergartners, but you know, if you have to ask for a standing ovation, it's not really authentic. 
But you've seen people who do tricks. You've seen people who defy gravity. You've seen people who do amazing feats. And you can't help yourself. Is there any greater accomplishment in our planet that the one true maker of heaven and earth sits enthroned and he spins the world and he makes the the waves crash against the the shore? That, That same God spins all the universe and knows... He knows every star by name. That one entity is in control. That is a great God. When we see that, you know what? He, he deserves, let's say it this way, as much as you cheer at any event that you've ever been at, whether it's your kindergartner or an OSU football game, the Most High God deserves at least that much exaltation to praise Him for what He's done. It doesn't stop there, though. We stand up. Worship is a standing up because it's a standing up in alignment with others. We are all aligned. It's why they do victory parades and victory rallies. It's because people will lock arms. It's why people demonstrations are done. You know that Psalms 120 through 134 are all called songs of ascent. It's all, they were all sung as people were on their way on a journey to the temple to worship God. And they would worship as they were on their way to worship. So many of those psalms are saying, let's go, everybody. Let's go. Join me. Join my voice. Let's, let's sing to him together. Psalm 35 says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly among throngs of people. I will praise you. There's a reason why corporations have gatherings of their sales force. Some of you go to those. They could, they could tell you what they need you to do, but there's a reason why they do it, because if they can get you all in one place and they can hype you up about what it's for, there's something that empowers you to sell more. There is something empowering about the 12th man, about the fourth line, about home field advantage. There's something that happens when we do it together, and that's why. That's one of the reasons. When we say it's an essential around here, that's why. If Please hear this. Please hear this. If I come and I sit in this seat and you normally come and you sit in this seat, you're not being in that seat. is isn't just a decision that's based on the fact that you had something better to do or you got a little tired. Your decision not to be in this seat affects me in this seat. There's a covenant and a commitment we invite people to make around here. I'm not telling you you have... You're not going to get in trouble with God if you're not in church every Sunday. We're talking about a matter of the heart that says, I owe it to you to lend my voice to yours. We're in this together. We're we're not quite as full as we can be in our praise to the Most High if the seat that I would occupy is left unoccupied for other reasons that are inappropriate. It's why it's an essential. Psalm 22 says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. It's why you owe it to those around you to stand up with them. There's one more thing about worship. Whether you came in and you sit over there or you sit over here, you sit over here. We present ourselves personally. Psalm 40 says, I said, here I am, I've come. It's written about me in your scroll. I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. 
I will praise you, Psalm 138 says, O Lord, with all my heart. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. And Psalm 18 says, and with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. The point is you get invigorated. There's something that happens in your soul when you do that. And so, so worship is not just a standing up. Worship is one more thing. Worship is a drawing close. And I, can I tell you that whether or not this happens is not based on how good a song they put together or who says what they say. This is entirely dependent on your heart. Entirely comes down to what you decide to do. Because worship is a bowing. Yes, I can bow. And it is a standing up, but it is also an intimacy. It is a drawing close from your heart. It is an open-hearted embrace of intimate connection with a God who loves you and is present in the room. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Can I tell you, I don't often feel that way. I don't. And I work here, and I got to get up and talk, okay? But there are a whole lot of times where I just like, oh, another Sunday? What time does the game start? What's for dinner? What do I have to do in the yard? But worship is a conscious act where you open your heart and invite a personal God to see what's really in there. Surrender it to him and say, come, meet me here. Draw me close to you. It's an honest admission, an open invitation. It's an emotional expression. It means you don't keep secrets from him. You don't hide things from him. You come into a group of people. In Hebrews 12, it says this very interesting thing. It says, we, there are two mountains described. It says, we don't come uh, to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where, where the law was given, and, and, and there was lightning. It was, we just talked about the Ten Commandments. There was lightning and thunder and, and the fierceness of God's power, and everybody was spooked and scared. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews says, when we come to worship, we don't come to Mount Sinai. That's not what we're drawing near. We come to Mount Zion, which is the city of God where he dwells with his people, where he's in relationship with them. That's where we come. Psalm 73 puts it this way. As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. When you exercise, I was told I exercised wrong doing, was ab work, right? Because like, well, they get, you're kicking your legs up in the air and doing the stuff. They go, yeah, well, that's nice. And they go, well, this is easy. And they go, no, no, no. You have to engage your core. I go, what? I didn't know I had a core. What's a, your core? Well, you know, it's this part of you. It's like the, your core. You got to engage your core. I'm like, okay, I'm moving my legs. And they go, no, engage your core. I still don't quite get what engage your core means. Some of you can explain it. But they say, you'll know you engage your core because from the center of who you are, you're strengthening and you're flexing, you're moving. I go, that doesn't sound comfortable to me. I'd rather just make my legs go a little bit. When you worship, if you worship, you're not worshiping fully until you engage the core of your soul. You know how you do that? You present your heart to God. You open yourself to him and you say, I am here in front of you 
to declare, I'm bowing in front of you, I take my rightful place. I'm standing for you and I'm extolling you, but now I'm asking, I'm drawing near to you. Come in and show me what you want to do in me. Psalm 139 puts it this way. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And then at the end, he says, search me, oh God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. He goes on to say, if you see any wayward way in me, show it to me, reveal it to me. So you bring an empty, receptive heart into worship. That's what we're inviting you to do. You release your heart, and then you ask him to do something with it. And here's the cool part. When we worship like that, God does something. God God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Psalm 34 puts it this way, that the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close. Are you brokenhearted today? He's close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You open that spirit to him. And God moves in. He draws near. When he does, he he gives protection. He gives comfort. He gives rest. Psalm 3, 3 says, You are shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me. And I love this little phrase. You lift my head. Do you ever notice? I notice this about myself sometimes. I walk around with my head down. A lot. I'm not looking for quarters on the ground anymore. I used to do that, but now it's just because I'm down. I'm just down. My head is down. And the phrase says, look, when you open your, you bring that heart to God, you worship him, and he has this effect. He lifts your head. He helps you see where the future is going. He helps you see the love in his eyes. This is what Psalm 27 says. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Worship is a drawing close. If I come in and I sit in this seat, what happens next is an opportunity. But guys, it's essential. If I want to be strong in my faith, if I want to grow in my knowledge, if I want to to be maturing in who I am as a follower of God and Jesus Christ, when I come in, I need to be with somebody who consciously bows, consciously stands to extol and exalt, and then consciously draws near. And from this seat right here, open my heart to a God who is in the room and who loves me and to know I am loved by him. I'm chosen by him. I'm lifted up by him. And I am not alone. When you walked in and you sat in your seat today, you may or may not have been aware of this, but there's something that's true right at this moment, right here where you sit. You are not alone. Your world may be crashing down. Things may be going terribly. You may have had such pain in your life. You may be confused about decisions. You may be disheartened. You may be frustrated. You may, you may be grieving right now. But in every moment of that experience, you are not alone. 
God reminds you that you're not alone with the people who he's given to remind you around. Their voices join with yours. You are not alone. The Most High God is not only on the throne, he is at the center of your heart. He's in control of your life. He's giving direction and purpose. He has a plan for you. You are not alone. One of the reasons we exist, why we built this place, why we do what we do, is to say, this is not an optional activity. The fullness of life, you, what you were created for, what we were made for, is to come to a place where we say, our world may be going crazy, it may be threatening us, it may be knocking off kilter, but we have a place. And from that place, we fill our hearts. And from that place, we praise the God who's true, and we declare what is true. That there is a God who is on the throne, who knows what he's doing, that I am rightfully connected to him, that he is in control, and I am not, and I am not alone. He is with me. We invite you to worship him as a regular, common part of your life. As you gear up for, the, for the, all the things that you're asked to do in the school year, all the clubs you can join at school, all the other stuff that can go on in your life, all the, all the activities that can, that can take your time, build this as a cornerstone and says, there is one thing I'm not going to give up, and I will be a worshiper both individually and corporately. I will worship the Most High God. It is essential in my life. And we're going to take an opportunity to spend a few more minutes the rest of the service inviting you to practice that. These guys are going to come back up, and I'm going to invite you to focus on the fact that a God who is in the room is here. And would you pray with me? And we're going to go. It's going to, prayer is just going to continue right into worship. Here we go. Bow with me. We were made for this, and we need this. And for the, the whole spectrum of people in the room right now, those who came in ready to worship and those who have no idea what it is, make this a moment where we see how significant it is, how important it is, and we together will declare and say, we are here to bow. We're here to declare that you are God and we are your servants We are here to shout your praises. We are here to extol your greatness. And we are here to open our hearts. Oh, so many of us need cleansed, Father. So many of us need restored. We need reset. Make this even an experience in the next few minutes that serves to do that again. We want to hit the reset button in our hearts. And we want to worship you. Meet with us as we do. Amen.